there comes a time in a man's life where he has to pick up a microphone and talk about the TV shows that he's been watching with his good friend, Chris. The time for me, Dan Barrett, has come. Chris, it has begun. You and me, Hi, Dan. talking TV. Are you excited? I'm excited. I'm always very excited to talk to any humans at the moment, but I'm very excited to talk to you about TV this week on the Always Be Watching podcast. Now, Chris, I'm stoked for this week because I've got some exciting things to talk about. You've got some very exciting things to talk about. <laughs> and then we're going to wrap things up with the, quite frankly, this is the quiz that's taking Australia by storm right now. It's the always be watching, uh, I can't remember what we've even called the segment anymore, the TV <laughs> Master, Legends. TV Masters. TV Masters. Yeah, because it's Something like Golf Masters. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. It's TV Masters, Television Masters. I'm sure somebody out there is taking notes. We can ask them. Yeah, the Robin Masters. No, that's a guy from Magnum PI. <laughs> anyway, Chris, but dilly dallying enough. On the show this week, I'm going to talk about a show called Dummy about a woman played by Anna Kendrick and the sex doll that's talking to her. But you, sir, have two corkers that you're talking about this week. I'm going to be talking about the 1991 a classic piece of cinema. Uh, I think you're familiar with it, Dan. It's called Point Break. Sir, never heard of it, but you know, I'm willing to go on that journey with you. And I'm also going to talk because I'm young, dumb, and full of fun. <laughs> and we're also going to talk about the um, ESPN um, documentary series or docu series, if you will, about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, uh, which is called The Last Dance. Awesome. Cool. Now, Chris, yeah. I don't know if you're aware of this. But Point Break may be one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> Look, I'm pretty sure. I, I, I wasn't that sure um, that it was one of your favorites, but I do recall that recently you went and watched it at the cinema. I did. And I'd never <laughs> seen it at the cinema before. We've mentioned it on this podcast before. I did see it at the drive-in. So remember, ah, yes. if you remember back on episode 43, I have no idea. Uh, we were talking about this documentary I'd seen called Maybe the Last Drive-In. And we both talked about, we regaled each other with Tales of yes. Iron Drive-In attendance. And I'd mentioned that one of the films I had seen at the drive-in as a wee young tyke was the movie Point Break. Uh, I've watched it on TV and DVD and stuff many times since then. But I got to see it on the big screen just a couple of months ago and it was every bit you'd want it to be. Um, are we going to play a clip from it now to intro this conversation? Is this what we're talking about right now? Well, I mean, I thought we'd save Point Break to the end, but this is ridiculous keeping it till the end. Like, let's go <laughs> I, think, right I don't now. think we can wait. Yeah, okay, let's do it. Check out the dates on these robberies. It's strictly a summer job for these idiots. Four months. June, October. And then... Same the year before. That's right. We have one more month. We won't see him till next summer. They're traveling on the money, going where the waves are. That's right. The ex-presidents rip off banks to finance their endless summer. <laughs> Chris, point break. Tell us what it's about, but also why are we talking about it in 2020? Well, the the second part of that, I'm not sure I'll be able to answer at all. But the first part <laughs> I will answer is that it is a um, a film about a young FBI uh, graduate, whatever it's, uh, what what is it, however you would say that. Agent, yes, a, a young agent. He's 25 years old. His name is Johnny Utah. He was a high school quarterback hero. Uh, he's a very, very beautiful man. Um, well, he played college and, football as well. College football, that's right. This yep. is where he got... Um, his reputation for being a badass quarterback, um, punk. quarterback punk. 
And um, he gets teamed up with a phenomenal uh, actor by the name of Gary Busey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, father of Jake. Uh, father of an equally phenomenal actor. Well, not equally. It's, there's fewer as good as, as um, Gary Busey. And uh, as his young partner, well, I, I, yeah, I think they're just sort of partnered up, but then it becomes clear that they are going to try to capture uh, the... the um, notorious bank robbers, the dead presidents who show up every summer and rob all the banks in town and get the hell out of there without leaving a trace. And so it's the classic tale of the, the classic cop buddy movie mixed with the surfing movie mixed with a healthy dose of anti-authoritarianism and confusing uh, individualism. And look, it doesn't sound anything... I had a very fun. I had very fun memories of this film. Like so I've watched was, it a lot of times as okay. well. Questions: When was Not the last time, time you saw it? So it's been many years. Many years, probably ten years at least. Yeah. What made you watch it in the last couple of days? The last few days, I've been. I was feeling particularly nostalgic for uh, films I haven't watched. I tried to watch a few new movies, and I just couldn't get into them. And I felt like it was all uh, a big part of the. You know, I, I was. I was having that sort of wanted something familiar and I knew that I was going to enjoy. I don't actually have a lot of time at the moment, so I don't like the idea of investing two hours in something that's not going to be completely indulgent. Uh, and I knew it would be that. But honestly, and also I've, I was up very late at night and I was expecting it to put me to sleep, which of course, Dan, it did not do. This film is <laughs> gripping. Who could sleep through this movie? And it, it sounds is- like I'm being sarcastic, but I'm really not. It's, a, it's just fantastic. No, and I wasn't joking when I said that this is one of my favorite movies because it is such an immensely watchable movie. And every time I watch it, like, it grips me. Like, there is, like, every scene in this film is eminently watchable. There's nothing that you would cut from it. There's not a, you know, there's some just, the cheese is laid on so thick, but it is just so perfect and it's just in all so. the right places. Deliberately so, absolutely. Hmm. The cinematography is actually gorgeous. Like, it's really, really beautifully shot. And, and has a lot of that sort of those great surfing shots that you would expect from the, um, you know, that, that were, there were, there was a lot of sort of surfing movies around that time. Well, I guess since the sixties, but where they really started to, you know, blow up the, the surfing experience of the big screen, which it just does so beautifully well. And, um, I don't know. It's funny. The bad guys likable, the good guys likable. Uh, there's just really not much to not like about it. Here's what I find really fascinating. You talked about the main character, Johnny Utah, okay, as played by the great Keanu Reeves. You talked about his partner. Yes. His name has just dropped out of my head for a moment. It's Gary Busey, but he plays the role of Angelo Pappas. Oh, very good. Agent Angelo Pappas. Okay. You're reading that, surely. No. Wow. That's <laughs> this is all up impressive. here, Chris. Lots of important information. Very but impressive. But the person that you didn't mention at all was the person who's generally billed as the co-star of the movie, which is one, <laughs> Patrick Swayze. Well, yeah, it's not like I, I didn't mention him out of any <laughs> lack of respect for, for no, no, Swayze. What I find fascinating about it is regardless how many times I've seen the movie, and I'm going to talk to you about my favorite time I ever had watching the movie that wasn't <laughs> playing in the wait. cinema. But every time I watch it, I'm always surprised when Patrick Swayze turns up because I always think about it being a two-hander with Keanu Reeves and Gary Busey. Like that's my framing for the movie whenever I think about it. And then I'm, I never quite think about Bodhi as a character until Bodhi's a present. And he doesn't really get as much screen time as Gary Busey even, I don't reckon. Like I think he actually is quite low. Like No, no, I don't think that's right. So the mask on. 
I think there's like a switch halfway through the film. So it's very much right. like Gary Busey, uh, Keanu Reeves, but the more that you start seeing of Patrick Swayze, the more he just takes over the movie. It's so funny watching it in retrospect. The funniest leap of logic was how long it took, um, how long it takes Keanu to figure out that that Bodhi is indeed <laughs> the leader of the dead presidents. And then when you do realize that that's happened and he's surprised by it, you then realize like, oh, it's quite lucky that the very first surfer that he, uh, <laughs> he came across in his quest to join in the surfers so he could infiltrate the um, hitherto unknown um you know, surfing gang. And luckily they were right there. And that's what keeps the movie going along at a cracking pace. <laughs> now, technically he's the second surfer that he encounters. Really yes, he is the, yes. The first yes. one's the love interest played by Laurie Petty. Yes. Um, Tank Girl. Is that right? Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I hadn't <laughs> thought about Tank Girl in a long time until I was watching it. I was like, oh, wow. I think Laurie Petty was Tank Girl. <sighs> Here's the thing. I think that the movie is pretty much a perfect movie in that, as you said, there's nothing you can take away from the movie to make it better. There's nothing that includes the movie to make it better. But the no. one element that I think you could switch out of the movie is Laurie Petty. Cause I don't think she really brings anything to the film, but I also like that. She's not a very traditional love interest either. Like she feels like a surfing grommet. Yeah. I really like her character in it. I think, um, yeah, they don't really do enough with it. And it, it's very strange how, um, you know, Bodie's very likable up to a point, but then, when he actually, you know, has to have some leverage over Keanu, you know, he turns horrible, you know, with what he does to, to Laurie Petty um, and, and the situation that he puts her in. And it's that point in the movie where I kind of thought like how, you know, obviously they've just wedged her character in there for that kind of reason. And as this gateway to the other ones, like it's a really poorly designed character really. And you're right. Mm. She, it's an interchangeable one because there's just not much for them to do really. But the, um, it, that really made me think about how you lose some of the, it, you really do lose your empathy for Patrick Swayze. I think around that point, whereas up to that point, he still has this kind of like underdog and uh, not underdog anti-hero sort of status around him where you really like, you know, he's got a lot of ideas I can relate to. He doesn't want to work. He doesn't like the authorities. He doesn't like being told what to do by the man. And you can kind of, as someone like me, you can kind of get on board with that up to a point. And then and all of a sudden I'm the beach cheering recently. from the cops and I moved to the beach. That's right. I'm chasing the waves, Dan, <laughs> going where, where the waves go me but you know at some point then it's like oh no you kind of like you gotta go oh no he's a jerk he's doing some bad stuff robin banks that's not who really cares I mean, about that banks not just the man man yeah yeah that's right you're just robbing the man but yeah, anyway so even having said all that still perfect film <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect movie with the exception of laurie petty so the thing is i'd say that she has no chemistry at all with keanu reeves in a film really so like they play off each other perfectly fine, but like there's no real tension there. You just can't really feel it. And yes, the fact there's that, no, she's no Sandra Bullock in Speed. No, like that you can. There's a palpable chemistry between us for those, <laughs> but like it doesn't yes. exist in this movie. And what's kind of interesting is the back end of this movie where the emotional stakes really come into it. You need to really believe that they have like a simmering like sexual chemistry between them because when, <laughs> yeah. cause, you know there isn't enough for it to be like a genuine sort of romance. Like there's no sort of cutesy aspect to it. They're just two people that are both incredibly hot that met each other on the beach. And like over the couple of weeks that this film takes place over, like they don't really do anything to further their relationship beyond, you know, hang out at a few beach parties together and sleep together a few times. And then you're supposed to be really <laughs> invested when she yeah, gets kidnapped. Yeah. And like fair enough to be invested because it's somebody you know who's been kidnapped by this guy. But like it's not like the sort of love of his life. Like there's 
And the film really goes out of its way to make it feel as though the stakes are so much higher for a personal investment than what they actually are. If anything, there's a lot more romantic moments between um, Johnny Utah and Bodie. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's been oft discussed as well. But like that is very much a, um, a, a sort of thread through the whole thing. And it's kind of like, it's very strange how he actually um, then just kind of lets him go have his last surf at the end. It's like, oh, you forgot about how you had your girlfriend, how he had your girlfriend <laughs> hogtied up at knife point and was going to gutter. It's like, oh, yeah, right. Okay. You'll just get it, let him have his love surf because that's what he always wanted. Yeah. Uh, worth probably talking about, you said how great the movie looks. And I also think the film sounds amazing as well. Like yes. the sound of the crashing waves. And this is the thing. So you've got like three or four sort of disparate elements sort of through this. One, you've got, it's a surf movie. Yeah. Um, it's also a cop movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's these um, parachuting um, sequence. Yes, there's the extreme sports. That's right. I forgot yeah. about the extreme sport uh, aspect of it too. Um, and then, I mean, this really sort of falls into the cop movie aspect of it, but there's this amazing sequence where uh, they're staking out a bank because they know that's where the president's going to turn up next. And then the presidents turn up. And so there's like a chase, like a car chase to begin with, but there's this amazing foot chase between uh, Keanu Reeves, who's revealed himself to be an FBI agent and Bodie, who's wearing the Reagan mask. And so he's running through the streets, realizing that, you know, he's been betrayed by Johnny Utah and like they're running through the backs of like these sort of terrible rundown homes through Los it's Angeles. So and good that scene. At one stage, Bodie throws a dog. And yes. <laughs> it's incredible. incredible. Yeah. And it start and that whole thing starts with like the bank robbery happening in the background and um, Gary Busey's in the, in the car reading a newspaper. So he's missing it going on and Keanu's gone off to get some buy hot, hot dogs, dogs. I think. Yeah. So that's, you know, so oh, no, they, they like they, sandwiches. Yeah. So this is yeah. kind of like bum, real bumbling cops kind of keystone cops moment at the start of it all which just yeah i reckon that's probably the best sequence in the whole film i think despite all the amazing sequences another cool thing was um it's definitely patrick swayze doing the uh skydiving and it's definitely not keanu reeves doing the skydiving <laughs> like it's just so awesome the way they kind of like jam the, the bits of footage together but it still works like it's still um it's still a really uh exciting scene but and that and it's almost like they're reveling in the fact that it's patrick swayze doing his own stunts like there's a lot of you know we're really going to make this obvious and that's kind of at the detriment of poor keanu's green screening so it's bigelow directing but also co-writing the story at least i don't think it's a screenplay credit is her ex-husband james cameron and if you think yes, about James right. Cameron, like so much of his work is based around water and um, like he's got like a real passion for the water. He's effectively the Bodhi of, yes, you know, right. of filmmaking. And so it's just interesting, this film, which is like a traditional surf movie. Okay. But it's very much about the spirituality of the, wa- the waves and the water crashing. And yeah, it came from James Cameron. Amazing. He's a producer or something on it as well, isn't he? Or am yeah. I- so I think that divorced by the time this movie came around. Oh, yeah, right. 2015 film. Did they remake Point Break? They remake... Well, look, there's a film that's called Point Break. And yes, one could say that they remade the movie, but man, it is not the same film by any means. I mean, one could probably say that the movie Fast and the Furious is a remake of Point Break in that it ends in the exact <laughs> same way. Yeah, right. Interesting. Like, well, and then it's had its effect on that throughout time. We should yeah. do one of those um, one-minute podcasts on Point Break. I feel like we could do that, no problem. <laughs> Look, I'm actually completely down for that. All right, let's start let's, that next let, week. Let's talk about that. Uh, but one of the things to uh, maybe focus on is I just want to talk about my favorite experience of watching Point Break. Sure, yes. And to me, this speaks to what I think is just such a, like what makes it such a great movie. 
which I have this very fond memory of there was a day in high school, you know, right at the end of the school year where things have wound down completely. And there's usually like an end of school year trip somewhere. And it's just an excuse yeah. for the teachers not to have to worry about doing a lesson plan or anything. And so, yeah. you know, get out for the day. So I remember we went to Dreamworld for the high educational value that that presents. Yes. Went to Dreamworld, rode some rides, had a great time, came home. And because it's a school trip, they don't let you stay there until Dreamworld closes. You end up back on the bus at like 3.30 in the afternoon. Mm. But back on the bus at 3.30, I remember getting home like maybe 4.30, 5 o'clock. It's like right as summer's sort of kicking in. So it was really quite hot. I remember pouring myself a dramatically large glass of Coke. I had some like <laughs> spice in there. Like I just remember this Coke. I remember sitting on a beanbag and I remember sitting on the couch watching Point Break, which came up on Foxtel. And I must have seen Point Break on Foxtel like through that cycle of being on Foxtel <laughs> 15, 20, 300 times. I don't know. Right. I saw it a lot the months leading up to it. But I just remember there was something very special about me having a severe amount of heat stroke from being out at the theme park all day, drinking this delicious big cup of Coke and watching Point Break. And every time I watch Point Break, like it's really me chasing that wave of sitting in the beach <laughs> watching Point Break. <laughs> um, that, so that wasn't obviously wasn't the first time you'd seen it, but that was the most memorable time. That was the most memorable time. Although seeing it in the movies recently, I have to say it plays so well on the big screen. It's oh. crazy. Yeah, when you said it, I can't, I can't remember. I, uh, I, I, I don't like going to the movies at the best of times, but I know I wasn't available to go to that. And I was yeah. just like... It was really, um, I did kick myself. Anyway, we should talk about something else, but that's Point Break. You can get it from all the places where you get old movies, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's not actually on any of the current things that I could find. No. Um, so I, I, I tracked down a Blu-ray or something. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was, it was amazing. It's, it's not a hard movie to find. It's out there everywhere. I feel like it'd be awesome to, if I had like the indulgence of a VHS machine and a, I would absolutely adore to watch it in that. But actually, just on that, there's something else. I've, I've watched a few of those kind of movies from my youth, um, from my VHS days recently as, you know, as part of this sort of nostalgia kick, I guess. Um, another, including The Lost Boys. I was hoping The Lost Boys would reveal itself to be as as fantastic as uh, Point Break. And it's not, but it's still very good. I still, I could talk about that for many hours as well. I'll but say the, I didn't see The Lost Boys when I was a kid. I actually only watched it in my like early to mid 30s. And I yeah, don't right. think the film's very good at all. But I can yeah, appreciate yeah, yeah. that if you grew up with a movie, you probably have like an actual pre-existing connection to it. But Point Break, and, and I honestly think if you'd never seen the movie before and came to it, I think you oh, totally. Would. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's not aimed at the kids as much and all that kind of stuff. But the thing that was similar in the experience of watching them again was watching them in these nice 1080, um, you know, presentation. Like I would have seen both of those movies so many times, like on VHS in the square screen. Um, that that's kind of how you become used to them and to see them like, you know, treated really nicely and, and blown out to the proper size. And, uh, it's, it's actually like a really, for things that you've seen so many times in that more, um, analog state to see them in that really brings a new an interesting light to them. I thought that I hadn't really enjoyed as much as I did until both of those films are extremely visual. And I didn't really think about it until I was watching Lost Boys. You know, it's got all these great, I don't, I don't know how well you remember it at all, but it's got all these great shots of um, like helicopter shots coming in over the fun park and stuff. And the sea. Yeah, I do and remember just that, like, yeah. 
they're just, they just look so good and they set up the whole kind of um, spookiness so well and to see them, yeah, looking really nice was great. So as much as I would get a kick out of whacking a VHS in the machine and watching it in all its wrinkly glory, um, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a joy to get to experience them like, like, uh, like you can these days. Indeed. Now, Chris, Point oh, sorry. No, that's it. I'm done. Shut me up. <laughs> I was just going to say, going from big screen spectacle of Point Break to small screen to the smallest screen being your mobile phone. How like small screen segways. possible? It's just incredible. Yeah, um, I'm going to talk about the Quibi original Dummy. What is this? Glitter? Are you cheating on me? I have a sex doll. You what? nervous breakdown my boyfriend's sex doll is talking to me but i have news for you babe we're all sex dolls until we topple the patriarchy that's great you're a feminist sex doll for somebody who for somebody who was a a little let's say cynical about quibi at the first uh, mention of quibi you haven't shut up about quibi here's the thing so quibi look i'm super skeptical and i still don't think i've shaken my skepticism entirely but I have to say, of the TV I've been watching in the last two to three weeks, the thing that's kept me most engaged has been stuff on Quibi. Yeah, right. And yeah, like I don't know, like maybe this there's actually something to the service. I it's still early days. I'm still trying to get my habits surrounding it, and it's going to be different when there's not a shutdown and I'm actually out in the world. But right now, like I'm actually finding a bit of stuff on Quibi. Like it's bizarre. So the two standouts on Quibi so far is one. There's this show called Most Dangerous Game, which I talked about on the podcast a few weeks ago. That's Lim Hensworth and Christoph Waltz as like a guy's um, being chased by like wealthy people and being hunted in the streets. Yeah. So there's that happening, which as we record this on Wednesday, the 22nd of April, the final episode went out three hours ago. I still haven't watched it yet, but man, the tension until I get to watch that episode, Chris, the tension. Mm. So that's probably one of the standout shows. But the other one is the show called Dummy. Now, this stars Anna Kendrick. She is a woman who's a TV writer. She is dating another TV writer. And we'll get to that aspect in just a moment. But they have a very sexually honest relationship. So it seems like they've only been dating for like maybe about six months at this stage of the show. Uh, They like a little bit of role play. They are very honest uh, about both what they're after sexually as well as just general sort of um, body stuff. Um, How refreshing. Yeah, it's very refreshing. They've got a very honest, very refreshing relationship. Anyway, he, he takes like a moment of prodding, but he openly explains that he has a sex doll and she thinks that's incredibly weird, but she's a very sex positive person. So she sort of takes a moment to think it through and then comes to it and says, no, no, that's okay. She'd like to see the doll, but he's like, no, no, that's a private thing. She respects his boundaries. However, she wakes up in the middle of the night and there's a light coming from the other room. She ends up going in there and finds the sex doll. Here's the thing though, and here's the gimmick of the series, Chris. The sex doll starts talking to her. So I haven't seen past the first three episodes and I think there's only about five episodes out by the time that we're recording this. So I don't quite know exactly where the storyline's going. But she clearly just acknowledges that this is something that's happening in my head and everything that the sex doll is doing is really just reinforcing uh, negative thoughts that she has about herself as a potential romantic and sexual partner to somebody. Uh, The sort of way that she sees herself in the world, both in terms of as a person, as well as as a professional, as a TV writer. So she's an aspiring writer trying to make it in the industry. So it's really about this thing that's really just showing her... um, 
inadequacies, or at least the way she perceives her inadequacies in the world. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she's seeing this um, sex doll, but it's really just like an avatar of a a person who doesn't necessarily have any real agency of their own, but really is just a plaything for the rest of the world to engage with when they want it. Like it's kind of smart as an idea. But it's also really funny. Like the jokes yeah, are incredibly right. dirty and just um, like it's just witty, insightful comedy. But here's the additional layer of like oddity and gimmick to it. Sure. The guy that she's dating, so as I said, is Anna Kendrick playing the main character. But then she's appearing opposite Donald Logue. And, you know, Donald Logue, you've seen him in a whole bunch of things over the years. Mm. Bring up, bring up his picture while we're talking, and you definitely know who I'm talking about. Uh, Donald Logue is probably best known to me for being in the show Terriers, which is the best show that people will need to watch if they haven't already. But he plays the character, and here's the thing, Chris. This is his character's name, Dan Harmon. Ah. So Dan Harmon, I thought might have been a producer on the show, maybe, but that's actually not the case at all. So he is not actually affiliated with the show, but the person who is affiliated with the show is the writer and creator of the show. And her name is Cody Heller. Uh, Cody Heller's done some writing on shows like Wilfred and Dead Beast. And uh, she was involved oh, yeah. in the show Kidding. I think she may have written one episode or two of that. Uh, so she's been around doing a fair bit of TV stuff, but she's actually known as the girlfriend of Dan Harmon. So part right. of this is actually a, I, I don't know how autobiographical it is. I suspect that a lot of it's really her talking about her insecurities as an up and coming writer, like associated with someone who's such a well known presence within the industry. And I suspect that's where a lot of the material was coming from. Maybe he's got a sex doll as well. Who really knows? Um, and, you know, I'm not going to question it. Whatever, you know, whatever works for him, whatever yicks his yum, I think is the sure. phrase. Um, sure. But yeah, like this is a surprising comedy, which has appeared on Quibi, the TV service that's only available by a mobile phone. And in a way, it's kind of like the perfect medium for it because it's such a personal idea. I think maybe something would be lost watching it on a big screen. And when I say that this is one of the few Quibi shows that's really like just been a bit of a slam dunk to me, it's because I think it's just such a unique idea for a show matched with a format and a delivery mechanism that just makes sense for the personal intimate nature of what they're doing on the program. I'm not convinced I want to watch anything of substance on my phone, but I take on board what you're saying and I, and I take on, and I, and, I, and I definitely like the idea that different content would work better but in different also, ways. I don't know how much substance there really is to it. I think it might be sneakily substantial. So, cause you're only watching it in like six to 10 minute increments. So you're just kind of getting a bit of a hit of it. Yeah, yeah. As I'm talking about it, I'm like, oh, wait, no, there's actually some depth that really lies beneath this. Yeah, very interesting. Hmm. All right. Anyway, that's a show called Dummy. But Chris, let us wind out the TV conversational part of this podcast with something that you and I are both very enthused by, The Last Dance. You guys not allowed? No, I'm just kidding. What time is it? Mentality was to go out and win at any cost. Have you been watching The Last Dance? Have you, Dan? I, I've only seen the first episode. Now, you and yeah, I are right. coming at this from different perspectives. I'm not a sports guy by any means, and you're an absolute jock. <laughs> I'm not a sports guy at all, but I will say that the um, period of the Chicago Bulls and the NBA going ballistic was um, in my very formative high school years. Mm. Um, and so, and I was into rap music and things. So basketball um, was as close as I ever got to really indulging in a sport and especially like even actually for a very brief period playing uh, very <laughs> non-competitive basketball in a, in an organized situation though. Um, 
there was it was a great time for basketball back then. There was a lot of great films like um, White Man Can't Jump and Above the Rim, and uh, Basketball Fever was was you know Basketball Fever was massive and um, really mostly was. because of Michael Jordan, you know. Yeah, like it was. So I'm a couple of years behind you, but like. I remember growing up, like everyone was wearing basketball gear around a place and we're in Australia wearing like Chicago Bulls stuff, which never really yeah. made a lot of sense to me, but we did it. Um, but I was kind of thinking was just like, so massive. Uh, you were talking about how you had the sort of interest in both basketball and rap, which were kind of running car like side by side. Mm-hmm. But I was maybe to my great sort of passions at the time was basketball and Looney Tunes which also through yes. Michael Jordan had a little bit of a renaissance. <laughs> of course. And I was kind of thinking that after, like, basketball is obviously still a very vibrant sport and within the US context, I think people are still pretty crazy about basketball. But here in Australia, on the other side of the world, I don't think we really have a strong, as strong a connection to basketball as we did during that 1990s period. And it's just struck me as interesting that, because I was thinking about the Looney Tunes of it all, that yeah. it was kind of like, while... Because I was watching, because uh, The Last Dance takes the look at the Chicago Bulls with a specific focus on the 1997-1998 season. And I was thinking about the way that sports plays a role in the broader context of society and culture. And something that I guess maybe sort of triggered my thinking about that is I've started re-watching Sports Night, which was a TV show that at the heart of it is really a show that talks about the way that sports has influenced culture and the world at large. So all these yeah, characters sure. are presenting a um, late night TV show, which is about sports on ESPN or an ESPN like station. And like essentially everything that they're talking about within the world of sports is really stuff that's kind of reverberating through their own lives and the world that they see around them. So there's an episode yeah, sure. where they get an opportunity to interview Michael Jordan. And the, th- the condition of him being on there is that he won't talk about basketball but he's willing to talk about the perfume that he's uh, his name attached to. <laughs> and the executive producer on the show is like, hey, look, if he wants to come on here and talk, because the executive producer being an African-American man in his like, mid to late 50s, is like, if Michael Jordan wants to come on, a black man talking about perfume, I'm totally cool with that. Okay, And it's kind of an interesting <laughs> framework to look at who's this guy who's the world's biggest you know, star, really, um, yeah. from pretty much any medium. Like essentially you could maybe try to find bigger people than Michael Jordan at the time. And it's maybe like a Schwarzenegger, but like Schwarzenegger's in his way out by like the late 90s. Totally. No, he was definitely the most famous person on the planet for at least a few years there. Yeah. No, definitely. It was insane. It was feverish. So I was thinking about like the sort of crossover of basketball and culture. And because it's Michael Jordan, he was obviously the star of Space Jam. And so there's a strong connection to Looney Tunes. I was thinking about the fact that Looney Tunes like kind of had like its final sort of moment of relevance really in that 90s period as well. And it was kind of like with the culmination of Space Jam that kind of saw the end of Michael Jackson, uh, Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan <laughs> as big cultural figure, but also Looney Tunes as big cultural figures as well. Like after that, Looney Tunes are kind of around, but they're not really around in the same way they were back then. And it was huge, right? That movie was enormous, but it kind mm. of like sunk them both in some weird way <laughs> through its enormousness. I'm not sure how that happened. But um, the documentary series is great. I've, re- I've been really enjoying the first couple of episodes. I've, I've, you know, I watch a lot of music documentaries. I don't ever watch sport documentaries except for that one about the guy that, um, uh, the, ba- the baseball player that took heaps of acid. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, but um, I'm not even which sure which one that is. I'll get the name of that up in a minute. Um, but the, um, yeah, I really enjoy the way it's, I really enjoy the way it's playing out. It's interesting because um, the, um, you know, we know what the end of the story is. We know how the season ends. Um, and so 
It's, Here's the thing. I actually like, don't know how the season ends. Well, I'm yeah, very excited to find out. Well, you'll get to watch it as it comes out. The documentary I'm talking about was called, oh, it's about Doc Ellis. Um, and it's called, oh, geez, I actually can't find the name of it. Sorry. This is an amazing documentary. It's basically about how much um, they had to, you know, they were back in the sort of 70s and 80s. They were playing so much baseball that they just had to be on um drugs to get through basically so they're on uppers and stuff all the time but when they couldn't get speed and uppers they would take acid and um this guy doc ellis um the documentary is called no no a documentary and it um is about yeah this time it's about broadly about that period of baseball but it also it focuses on the time where he was tripping out of his brain and played the most amazing game of baseball that anyone's ever seen which is fantastic but um, I digress. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this um, you know this this documentary is played really straight. I watch a lot of music docos, so it's interesting seeing how uh, sort of different um, different rhythm and different uh, kind of cue points they use to push the story along in this kind of sports thing. Um, I, what, I'm really what enjoying. What's fascinating about it is that because it's directed by the same guy that made the HBO Andre the Giant documentary from about two or three years ago. And if you yeah, haven't seen that doco, have, like, no, you've got to check that out. But that, that's one of those sort of modern documentaries where there's a lot of footage that they've filmed for the documentary that kind of sits alongside it. This, it is almost entirely from video footage that they've cribbed together from apparently during the, the season that they focused on, there was a documentary crew that was hired by the Chicago Bulls to document that season. And so there's just all this actual footage sitting around from that time. And yeah. I've actually gone through all that footage and recreated it for this. So it's genuine real footage from that time that's never been seen before in like, that's been filmed in like a beautiful film format. It's 16 by nine. It's not just like video that's being cut up from, you know, different sources yeah. around the place. This is gorgeous looking film that's yeah. been reassembled into like this really sort of meaningful, exciting documentary series. It's really interesting watching um, documentaries on people now who are like in their, you know, early, early thirties, mid twenties and stuff, because there's so much footage of their lives, you know, like I've seen a few documentaries about young rappers and stuff who have died too early and there's footage, you know, there's obviously hours of footage of everyone now like this. So there's, you know, so much footage of them as a baby and then right the way through their whole life. Like, <laughs> so you see that, that sort of boring part of the documentaries that you always have to endure of the childhood and stuff. But now that, you know, there's just so, so much got, like, footage five of photos and do the slow motion sort of pan yeah, across the but, photo. But now it's like, you know, you can see a montage of all their birth days and it's really incredible and and i sort of um yeah was thinking about how rare it is to see something from the, the you know as far back as the 90s where you had all this like amazing fly on the wall footage but like you say shot like a feature film like it's incredible yeah one of the things i do love is that they do insert like videos bits of footage from various sort of tv shows and coverage of like sporting events and it reminded me about the beauty and this is particularly from the very early career of michael jordan so he joined the chicago bulls in 1984 so there's like some footage of like the first couple of games that he played and you've got these like gorgeous 1980s sports supers across the screen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it just really Phenomenal. sort of speaks to, and you can just think about that in a framework of Jordan's career going from 1984 to, you know, at the end of the 90s and just the level of technological sort of jumps and leaps that those supers went through for far, just far the presentation out, yeah. of sport. And I think we can all agree they've lost something because, man, those yes, supers definitely. were cool. The 70s works was so cool. I'd almost watch sport again if it was that. So, um, 
now that your interest has been piqued, do you think you'll um, get through? I think there's 10 episodes altogether or, or maybe even a few more than that. There was a, I know that a few, it only just finished airing on, or it only just finished getting released on ESPN, right? Well, they've only broadcast two episodes on ESPN. So oh, really? On, so Netflix yeah. got it first? No, no. So in the US, it's on ESPN and ESPN2. So if you're yep. very sensitive about language, you can watch a cleaned up version of ESPN2. Oof. Yeah. But anyway, um, and like there was a gangbuster viewership for uh, the other night when it aired. I'll bet. But it's yeah, yeah. two episodes for week one and then it'll be one episode every week for like the next however many weeks it runs for. Uh, but for international territories, Netflix has the rights to it. So it's ESPN in the US, Netflix everywhere else in the world. But I thought that we had a few more than that available on Netflix already, but maybe not. I didn't Just two as far as I'm aware. Just two. Okay, cool. I mean, I could could be entirely wrong on that, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure that it's a weekly drop. Um, Do you think you'll stick around and watch it weekly? Uh, Yeah, I think I will. I think I'm going to, it's, it's definitely about the speed of the stuff I want to watch right now. And it's such an interesting story. And so different to the other stories I watch, I think it's going to do very well on Netflix. And I think it might even, um, you know, I think it will be, there, there is a bit of upward momentum on basketball. Again, the Australian teams are getting a little bit more support and there's, um, you know, a bit more of a, um, commercial interest, I think in, well, at least was in the, um, basketball season last year. In Australia, so it'll be, and and of course you've got some big stars like uh, LeBron James now um, in the uh, NBA who are just and a bunch of Australian players too. So you're kind of getting to that point, I think, where there's a bit of momentum building up. It'll be really interesting to see if this doco kind of kickstarts some more interest and pushes that up another notch. Well, I mean, which I think the, it has the power to do. Yeah, I mean, part of the issue as well is that the narrative surrounding Michael Jordan, like you've got people like our age and older, obviously, who are still talking about like you know Jordan being like the greatest uh, basketball player. But for younger generations, they don't really have that connection because Michael yeah. Jordan's role has stayed out of the limelight. He hasn't gone to a career of being like a commentator or anything like that. It's really just young people hearing the myth and legend of Michael Jordan, but they don't yeah, care because they've yeah. got their own people that they've grown up with. And so this yeah. is really going to be reestablishing him as just being one of these icons of the game. And hopefully he can make some more money out of it. Cause you know, he, <laughs> yeah, Michael like, Jordan, he, he's hurting. If anyone needs some money, it's him. Um, and I think that's enough to say about that really Dan, but I'm stoked about it and it's great to watch something else. And I'm really interested in the idea of some more of those sort of style. I'd really, I'm interested in checking out some more of the ESPN documentaries. I heard about um, a couple of others when, when I mentioned this to one of my friends, who's a lot more into sport. Yeah, there's been some pretty great ones on there. So I'll, um, now something yes, we never actually did during our lengthy conversation about that is actually explain what the documentary is. So very briefly, right at the end of the segment, I'm just going to say that largely it's looking at the final year of the Bulls as we kind of knew them through the 90s after a very lengthy run. And through the uh, lens of looking at them through this one year, they start to explore the lives and careers of a number of the basketball players during that time and sort of their position within American culture and society. So it goes a very sort of broad look at the world, but through the framework of just these couple of guys. If and, you say so. And big, big focus on Michael Jordan, obviously, because yeah, you know, yeah. he's the real draw card on it. But, you know, this is, we also had, um, you know, Dennis Rodman was in that season and, you know, Scotty Pippert and there's big, some big stars in that team as well. So yeah. it'll be um, interesting to interesting to see um, Dennis Rodman get a bit more explored in that area. That's for sure. Interesting um, to see Dennis Rodman back on my TV the same week that Kim Jong-un has had like some issues. 
I know he must be hurting there too. Everyone's hurting. All the basketball players are hurting. Um, all right, Dan, let's wrap it up. It's time for this quiz. I'm keen. I'm going to smash it out of the park. I'm going to get 10 out of 10. Okay, so Chris, I but I was the TV champion. This week's TV legend, TV masters, television masters, Robin Masters. This week's Robin Masters, I was trying to find a category which to me just exemplified all that TV has to offer. And if you were to find one face to be the face of television from the last, we'll say, 25, 30 years, I can think of no more relevant a person than Seth Green. Yep. If you think about Seth Green, he's been in every single TV show that you've seen. And so I thought it might be fun, because he's obviously been in a lot, to list a synopsis for a show, not necessarily an episode, but just the broad program that it is. And all you have to do is name it. (laughs) Okay. And it's all That's through the framework that these are all shows that Seth Green appeared in in one form or another. Are you kidding? He's been in this. He's been in, in ten shows. All right, <laughs> dude. Look at his IMDb. He has been in a considerable number of shows. But I anyway, won't do I'm going to now because that will be cheating. All right, yeah, go. I can't do it now. So I'm just going to read the synopsis. Some of them Excellent. will be, you know, relatively easy, but others, you know, might be a bit more of a challenge. Okay, <laughs> here we go. In a wacky Rhode Island town, a dysfunctional family strives to cope with everyday life. As they're thrown from one crazy scenario to another. Malcolm in the middle? Uh, very close. It's called Family Guy. Family Guy, Rhode Island, of course. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Sorry. Don't forget, Seth Green involved. Okay, here's another one. Well, I don't know if he was in that. Uh, he's the voice of the sun. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he could have been in Malcolm in the Middle. I'm assuming he's not going to be the main one of the main characters in all of these uh, shows. Continue. I mean, this is the thing as well. Like, this could be any show because he's been in all of them. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. A comedy revolving around a group of teenage friends, their mishaps, and their coming of age set in 1970s Wisconsin. That 70s show? Correct. You got a point. <laughs> okay. I thought that was Milwaukee, but that's is that um, Happy no, Days is Milwaukee? Oh... Uh, well, I mean, Milwaukee's in Wisconsin, isn't it? Mm, maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. Yeah, it's too late. It's Sorry, past eight thirty. My interest in ge- uh, yeah geography <laughs> not quite there. Okay, Greg is one of the three point two million fabricated Americans living in the United States. Wanting a job that doesn't involve working only on Easter, he convinces his roommate Jimmy Bender to find him a job on the kids' show Sweet Knuckle Junction, which his father Gil directs. While Greg thinks he's going in for a backstage office job, he inadvertently bluffs his way into becoming a cast member. Um, is this that one about the rabbit? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, was he in that? I mean, I did yeah. mention the name of the rabbit, as you said, like about four times through that synopsis. <laughs> I can't, you said his name, did you? I can't remember what it's called. A whole bunch of times. So this is a show called Greg the Bunny. Greg the Bunny, yes. Yeah, which co-starred um, Seth Green as his housemate. Yes, um, and Greg, the, there was my one funny bit of trivia I had about Greg the Bunny was that when it was first played in Australia or when it was played in Australia at one point, it was put on in a... a in the amongst the actual children's programming um, until somebody tweaked to that, which I thought was quite funny because it's foul. Yeah. I mean, it was a prime time, like Fox sitcom. So I mean, it's not like it was like, (laughs) it's not meet the feebles by any means, but you know, it it also wasn't a, yeah, yeah. It also wasn't a children's show. All right. Do I get partial points for that by saying the rabbit show? No. Okay. Yeah. I have a certain standard you have to meet here, Chris. Okay. Fueled by remorse and vengeance, a high schooler named Terry McGuinness revives the role of Batman 
under supervision of an elderly Bruce Wayne, he fights crime in a harsh futuristic Gotham. Now this one, either you know it or you don't. <laughs> you know I don't know what this is. I, I deride you for your, your Batman obsessiveness. <laughs> this was an animated show called Batman Beyond. Okay. It's about Batman say so. in the future. Okay, Great. here we go. A young woman destined to slay vampires, demons, and other infernal creatures deals with her life fighting evil with the help of her friends. Was the word slay a bit of a clue in there? It could have been. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Correct. You get your second point. Great. Okay. Now this one's incredibly hard. Let's see how you was go. Was he a recurring character in that or was he like a cameo? No, no, he was uh, like, he did like a couple of episodes in season two, was one of the main characters through season three and then got written out <laughs> in season four. I was just, I was just asking to see how, how well you knew. And the answer is quite well. Continue. His character name was Oz. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Paul and Jamie Buckman are a recently married New York City couple. They point out the gentle humor and domesticity and life's everyday situations. Mad about you. How do I know? And that's, I'm embarrassed I know that. You know um, what? I've been re-watching Mad About You this last week. It kind of holds up. <laughs> Don't say it holds up. That's not true. Kind of does. Um, what was it he? It holds okay, up so much better was, than I thought. <laughs> where was Seth Green in that? Uh, he was in a 1997 episode. Just one. Okay. Fair but anyway, you've got three points now. Okay. Okay. In the early 21st century, mankind has colonized the oceans. The United Earth Oceans Organization enlists Captain Nathan Bridger and the submarine Sequest DSV to keep the peace and explore the, <laughs> to keep peace and explore the last frontier on Earth. Chris, what was the name of the show? Sequest DSV. Is that your final answer? Or is it just called Sequest, is it? Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say Sequest. Okay. You're locking that in? Yeah. Incorrect. <laughs> if you had called it Sequest DSV, I still wouldn't give it to you because they rebranded the show during the time period that Seth Green was on it. And it was at that stage called Sequest 2032. Oh, of course. Mm. Fantastic. I'd like to give you the point, but the rules. <laughs> <laughs> Two FBI agents, Fox Mulder and Believer Dana Scully, the skeptic, investigate the strange and unexplained while hidden forces work to impede their efforts. The X-Files. Look, I'm amazed you got that one. Uh, Can you tell me about his character in the X-Files? So he was in the second episode of the series. Um, I can't think of the character's name, but he was in the episode Deep Throat. He played a stoner. And this is back when Seth Green had big, wild, long hair. The second episode ever? Yeah. A group of friends living in Beverly Hills, California, in the postcode 90210, make their way through their school days into adulthood. What is that show called, Chris? Melrose Place. <laughs> so close. Beverly Hills, no, no, two, no. Correct, sir. Okay. Final one. So you bring it up to, what do we got to? One, two, three, oh my God. four. You got, got five so far. Oh, good. Can you get a sixth point? We'll find out. In 1960, seven preteen outcasts fight an evil demon who poses as a child-killing clown. 30 years later, they reunite, stop the demon once and for all when it returns to their hometown. Is that it? It is. The original miniseries, It. Yeah, because it's only TV ah. shows here, Chris. None of these fancy feature films. Yeah, well, that's why I was confused. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Hmm. I would never have known he was in that. You could have made that one a bit harder for me, and I still <laughs> I might not have got it. I um, probably could have, but, you know, it's not a say Petty words, at least. Thanks for giving me a few there, easy ones there. Um, yeah, wow, God, he has been in a lot of stuff. I, I, I could think of about another 
at least 15 things off the top of my head that I ex- assumed you would ask me about and you didn't. No, because he's got such a lengthy filmography. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he must really like working. Um, I mean, maybe. Maybe he just likes being paid. Maybe he does. Yeah. Um, is he still making the Robot Chicken show? Does that uh, still exist? I believe that's still like, like I think they just do specials every so often now. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's still around. That was his thing, right? He's very yeah. funny. He's in Austin IMDb, Powers. He has 190 credits. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of that's that's a lot of credits. Bear in mind, he was like a child actor, so he like appeared in a whole bunch of things before anyone really recognised he existed. Yeah, that's right. What's if you have you got his IMDb? What's his first thing? Uh, first, what's thing, right up early? He did something in 1984 called the Hotel New Hampshire. I've seen the Hotel New Hampshire, but I remember seeing him in a 1986 film called Mil- uh, Willie Millie which is about a girl that wakes up and she discovers that she's got a little willy. Her name was Millie. Is this? Yes, this is the same film. This film, I, I'm surprised you haven't seen this. Listen to this cast. Jodie Foster, Bo Bridges, Rob Lowe, Natasha Kinski, Wilford Brimley, Amanda Plummer, Matthew Modine and Seth Green. Look, he had me at Wilford Brimley. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew you would like that one. Worth noting as well, Wallace Shawn's in there, Matthew Modine, uh, Paul McCrane. A whole bunch I of know, people. It's huge. Hmm. But yeah, uh, yeah, I remember seeing it too. It's it's quite good. Anyway, Green. wow, dude. Well, you had a big start. Up. Yeah. Thanks for the quiz, Dan. It was heaps of fun, and I'm glad I didn't completely fail at it. <laughs> um, oh, keep in mind, he was in the 1988 film Big Business, playing the character of Jason. He was the son of one Bette Midler. Wow, that's a good credit. Yeah, he's been in some good stuff. Bet big business is that Bet Midler and Lily Tomlin? Correct. Oh, now I just I just want to keep quizzing. Now I'm just addicted <laughs> to the quiz. He's, hey, you know what? I pump up the volume. You know what I watched last night? I watched. Um, he wasn't in it, but I watched um, Jojo Dancer. Your life is calling the Richard um, Pryor movie. See, I don't think um, I've ever seen that. I had never seen it. It's amazing. I just um, stumbled across it, and I'm very very glad I did. It's only. I guess trying to watch some more movies. I, I want, yeah, I want to watch some more 80s kind of films and it was quintessentially 80s. It's just really weird, um, great sort of documentary style. No, not documentary style, but biopic style, fake biopic. Very, very cool. Now, Chris, as we, as we enter hour 17 of this podcast, it's probably time to wind it down. Yes, absolutely. I'm hoping you can find a lot of stuff to cut out of there, particularly <laughs> things that I was saying. But it's been an absolute pleasure, Dan. And no. um Look, pleasure's all mine. I was excited to talk about Point Break. I was excited oh, to talk man. about Seth Green. And there's some good stuff in between all of that. If you want to do either a branch off, a spin-off um, Point Break podcast or Seth Green podcast, I'm your guy. Look, I'm actually there for both of them. Maybe we start with Point Break and lead towards Seth Green. Yeah, we'll figure out a way to segue them. I'm sure there will be a way to segue them at one point. It's been a pleasure as we dovetail this into an exclusive Point Break. Yes, absolutely. On Point Break Minute. My name's Dan um, Barrett. I've been here talking about TV on the Always Be Watching podcast, which is the audio companion of the daily newsletter one can subscribe to, which you can find at alwaysbewatching.com. We're on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Reddit. We are on every platform you can imagine, as long as you can only imagine three platforms. <laughs> Chris Yates, you're not on social media, or you are, but you don't really advertise it. I hide myself, Dan. Yeah, like you're like a digital Ronan. My privacy is way too important to me. <laughs> Oh, excuse me while I give that a good hearty laugh. Folks, it's really not true. This has been Always Be Watching. 
We'll get him when he comes back in. We'll get him when he comes back in. He's not coming back. Yeah. I will say that's one of Peter Phelps's best performances. It's fantastic. He's Definitely not the guy that says that line, but he's one of the cops on the beach. Yeah, he, do, he doesn't even get that many words, I don't think, but it's great to see him nonetheless. <laughs> so good. Anyway, Chris Yates, it's been a pleasure. We'll be back talking more Point Break next week. 